kidnapping started in June 2019, the victims would either be forced into prostitution or held for ransom, according to an indictment. The two men accused of perpetrating these crimes are long-haul truckers. One owns a trucking company called God Got Me. From Freight Waves, this is Long Haul Crime Log, a podcast about the dark side of trucking. I'm Nate Tabak in Toronto, Canada. And I'm Clarissa Haas in Kansas City, Missouri. Today on the show, how these two truck drivers allegedly spent a year and a half abducting women, and why one of the suspects was arrested and let go in the middle of this. Clarissa, one of the things that stood out in your reporting on this case is that the FBI doesn't really seem to know how many victims there are out there. Yes. And last week, that's what initiated this blast out to all states, even uh, they were focusing on the I-95 corridor, but they were also sending this out nationwide in hopes that more victims would come forward. One of the defendants, Brian Summerson, they found um, photographs and communications and with other regarding other women. So they are they are sure that there are other victims out there that either didn't come forward or maybe they reported it to a local municipality that didn't in turn report that to the FBI. So they're wanting to, you know, identify more um, victims. What do we know about these two truckers charged in this case? Brian Summerson is 25 and from South Carolina. And he has worked as an owner-operator leased to at least two carriers in the past two years. And um, that he, he worked for an employer, was leased onto a company. And um, the reason that, this, that the owner found out that Brian Summerson had been arrested in t- back in 2020 was that um, his, they turned on the GPS and found that his truck and trailer were located at a law enforcement facility. And, and so then they started asking questions and at first were getting no answers. And then eventually the F they said, we have a load that needs to be delivered. You know, you need to tell us what's going on. And then once, um, once it was explained, his contract was terminated with this carrier and, and, um, but then a few days later, um, Summerson was released and the conditions of his release were that he was not allowed in a state where one of, where the victim was from. According to these federal charges, Clarissa, what were these truckers, uh, Summerson and Washington, what were they doing exactly? Um, according to court documents, Summerson's job was to find recruit women, and um, and that the goal was that they would be forced or coerced into um, prostitution once he had them inside his rig, and if they refused and said that they did not want to work for for um, Pierre Washington, according to documents, then then that like sparked a okay so let's contact the alleged victims families and see if we can you know exchange for money in, in regard for their safe return so the ones some of the and that's what you know the communications have found back and forth was um 
you know, that, Hey, I, I have, I have this girl. She says she doesn't want, you know, to, to be forced into prostitution. Um, let's contact the families and try to get money sent via cash app. In the court documents, do you actually see the transcripts of these, the, the communication between these two truck drivers? Yes. And at the time, according to the indictment, um, one of the, like it has Summerson and then a, the person's name that is listed in these transcript is goes by Pedro. Do we know anything about how, how the women were actually like were found and targeted? In one of the cases, which is the one I kind of highlighted in my story, was that she was kidnapped outside of her home because allegedly her boyfriend owed Brian Summerson's boss money. And so it was, so that's what sparked this one. In other cases, um, some of them were based on like consensual sexual encounters that then then turned, um, you know, where they weren't allowed to leave. You know, like at first it was that they had arranged these meetings, and um, then were held against their will. Some were held for several days, um, and and then you know one got away after after one of the defendants went to sleep. And in the other case, it was the same thing. She she was able to get away and and went to police. Some were reported. That's what the FBI is really trying to focus on is even if it was these consensual encounters, but that, you know, took a very dark turn for them. You know, it's not they want to make sure that these women feel safe to come forward, that, you know, that it was that they are not the target of the investigation. They want to get them the resources that they need. Uh, it's, it's always difficult in, in these cases. I think in part, just, I think when these, when these things happen to people, they're, they're very traumatic. And I think oftentimes the last people, last thing people want to do is, is relive that. And I think, unfortunately, law enforcement at times can be, um, it's not always been the best with, with sex crimes victims. Right. And, and, you know, they, they have tied in with some of, maybe some of these potential victims worked in the sex industry and they, you know, and, you know, there's that stigma just because they work in that, in the industry that, that this, you know, is, should be expected, you know, that they're, you know, forced into these other situations that was not the agreed upon arrangement. So, so this is like, I mean, this case, it's really, it's, it's staggering when you, when you think about just the, the sheer number of victims who may have been involved and how terrifying uh, this, this must have been. But something that really stood out is that Suberson was actually arrested and charged uh, over, over a year ago, and I guess was let, let free. Yes. And how the FBI was even tipped off in this case was that the mother of one of the alleged victims contacted the FBI after receiving like disturbing video calls from her daughter who appeared to be 
you know, have physical injuries to her face and bleeding and swelling and bruising and stated, and she told her mother that she had been kidnapped because her boyfriend allegedly owed um, another someone money and that she was going to be, and the mother said that her daughter told her she would be killed if she did not send $2,000 via cash app as a ransom payment. And so then the, the mother was later moved into like a conference room at the FBI office in Memphis. And they, they began monitoring these video calls demanding her daughter's release. And then she also received, you know, Facebook messenger calls um, stating that her daughter would not be released until the ransom was paid. And like court filings say that the victim's mother was trying to gather enough money to pay the ransom, but was only able to send $100 via cash app. So the victim's mother and Summerson bargained for her daughter's release. And because her mother couldn't come up with the full $2,000 and he uh, allegedly Summerson said that $900 would guarantee her daughter's release. But in the meantime, the FBI was um, trying to get the subscriber information from Cash App and contacting Facebook and Google and used all these resources to find the phone number and email address belonging to this Cash App um, subscriber information and, uh, and, and then contacted the cell provider associated with this number, which pinged allegedly pinged Summerson's truck as being parked in a business parking lot in Florence, South Carolina, several states from where she was, the victim was allegedly kidnapped in, in Georgia. So, so clear, so basically, so they, they find uh, this truck and then the, uh, the cops then or the sheriffs come and what do they find there? Yes. So the FBI contacted the Florence County, South Carolina Sheriff's Office to conduct a wellness check on Summerson. And while um, the deputies were interviewing Summerson, because that's where the mother of the victim had reported the alleged crime, ordered him to step out of his truck. The deputies um, claimed that they heard a female screaming inside that she had been kidnapped and um, that he was uh, immediately taken into custody and she was taken to a nearby hospital for evaluation. Did he, what did he say Like at the time? Do we know anything about like his, did he, like, did he say anything in his defense or anything like that? There's no court documents attesting to, you know, confirming or denying anything. There's like that part. The only, the next piece of that we can find is that he was released on a $50,000 unsecured bond like about eight days later and was allowed to continue driving with the condition that he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't drive through the state of Georgia, that he would leave the victim, the victim's mother, and then the victim's boyfriend alone would have no contact and that he would only return to Tennessee for court appearances because the case was transferred to the district court in, in in Memphis 
because that's where the mother of the victim had reported the alleged crime. So a $50,000 bond in this case, what that probably means in practice, right, is that going through like a bail bondsman or bail bonds company is that this guy needed to maybe come up with $5,000 to get out uh, you know, on charges that he's holding this woman against her will um, for an extended period of time. Did that is that like a strike you as like a low amount for a case like this? Absolutely. And so I did speak with a public uh, a public affairs specialist for the FBI who wouldn't talk about the case other than just you know wanting to get the information out about possible victims still out there. But I kept coming back to the fact that he was allowed to continue to drive where you know he had been the the deputies had found this woman in the truck, but what had gone wrong. And so my first thing was, was he allowed to go free with, with like as an informant where he was going to gather more information, you know, because at that time they only had Pedro as the name of the other co-conspirator in the, in this case. And so I don't know if he was allowed to remain free to gather more information. I have so many questions that the FBI just would not budge uh, and, and and confirm anything for me. I guess what Clarissa, when you look when you look at this this case from 2019 is that there are like similarities but there are also differences between like the larger pattern of crimes alleged that similar in the sense that you're dealing with kidnap and extortion but that it seems like this is tied very specifically to an indiv- like a, an individual in you know issue related to the you know I guess the the boyfriend of this victim and it's obviously kind of really terrible what's being alleged but I guess it doesn't necessarily on its own you know it's it's I can I guess I can sort of see how this wouldn't necessarily raise a red flag that oh this person is doing like this is part of these sort of wave of crimes, but as I, but also as your reporting points out that the FBI was also started looking into this guy as a result of this, right? Yeah, this triggered, this case triggered the FBI into searching for more possible victims out there because, um, and, and two more have come forward, but in those cases, they started out as consensual sexual encounters that ended with Summerson allegedly holding them captive and wanting to force them into prostitution. And 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 in both cases, they were they went free. They were they escaped. And in one case, you know, she was punched, kicked, choked, and in another case. Um, th- this victim was held for three days without her will, and she was able to escape and did file a police report. And but it was on like on that I ninety five corridor where the um, FBI is focusing its investigation. I mean, I guess the 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 question that this really does raise is that you know when what did the FBI know and when did they know it? But it it still strikes me as like a long time that they're at least aware that this seems to be happening. And it's at least not a mystery who one of the people involved in this is. 
And I, and what did the, what did the FBI say about this? One of the, um, I don't know if it's an assurance, but that he was required to have a location monitoring um, device so that they could track, you know, him throughout. And he was, you know, he had to check in at certain times and everything throughout this year and a half that after his release. Um, But, you know, the part is that he was still allowed to drive. And so when I talked to his previous boss, in this case, he said that he received another call from another carrier saying, hey, you know, do you know where Mr. Summerson is? We can't find our load. It's he's it's missing. It's you know, he's incommunicado. And then um, so and he's like, hey, he does not work for him. This is not our truck. We have no ties to him. But in working together, they found that he they found his truck had again been detained at a um, a law enforcement facility and that he was in custody but at that time they didn't know the the his former owner or his former former boss and the company didn't didn't know what those charges were in regard to so and then it was like an oopsie you know like he you know had he had there was another oopsie and then the former boss explained to this this other entity that he was talking to that this same type of situation had happened to him more than a year ago. So the other trucker charged in this case, uh, what do we know about him? His name is Pierre Washington. He's 35 from Chicago. And that he also is an owner operator who owns his own company called God Got Me. That's based out of Illinois. And just so God, so, so his company is called, just so we're clear, God with a capital, like God, God as, as in, as in higher power God, God got me. Yes. Yes. LLC based out of Chicago. And so that got me curious to want to know more about his company, because of course I always want to know how many trucks he may have and where, you know, and things like that. So I, I did a search and went to his website and it was, it was really disturbing because it lists um, Brian, you know, on the site, you know, and it doesn't have last name, but it says Brian is the recruiter for this company. So and I'm looking on the, this website right now of God got me. And the first thing you see are, is, you know, the two hands folded like in prayer. Uh, with like a light shining through it, is there like is there kind of some religious connection to to this trucking company? It, it would seem like there would be. And that was my first, yeah, that's what I first thought when I looked at the website. And but then you know it was like yes, I it was very eerie, you know, to come across the site and to see that, especially when it, it you know like as more information comes forward about. Pierre Washington's alleged role in this is that he wanted he wanted to coerce these women into working for him as prostitutes. So that goes against what God's teachings are and and to hold some to coerce somebody into these into this sex trafficking 
human trafficking. Yeah. And I mean, and I think that's, that's obviously that these are just, these are charges and that neither of, of these men have been convicted of anything. But if, if in fact, uh, you know, that, that there are convictions here, that it does sort of paint a very sort of creepy picture because, you know, you, you sort of think, oh, okay, this is a, maybe you, this, you see this truck and you're thinking, oh, this is, you know, religious person behind it. Maybe they're going to be behaving a little bit better, more piously. And obviously the reality, if in fact there's, you know, the conviction here is very much the opposite of that. And obviously this isn't the first time that a religious person would be accused of very serious crimes, but it does certainly, you know, it, there is, there is that uh, kind of this, it does make it a bit more troubling. So when was Washington released? He was released on um, March 30th. And um, and he was arrested, arrested in his home state of Illinois. And so they had an initial appearance hearing after his arrest on March 27th. And that he, he signed an unsecured bond in the amount of $4,500. And they set the conditions of his release that he would only have to have a curfew. He wasn't on any type of tracking device other than, you know, or home detention conditions other than then he had has a, a curfew. He has to report in at night. Any any thoughts about why why such a low uh, low bond would have been set? For someone, you know, accused of, of doing, you know, something, you know, quite serious and all, on a pretty large scale. I was reading through the court filings and it and it has somewhat to do with uh, COVID and not you know, holding um, him, you know, like they didn't seek detention, that they recommended that he be released on as long as he adhered to certain conditions still i mean does that strike you again with like the, the seriousness of this that that would you know i i, I could see th- i could see maybe someone who's accused of like embezzlement or something like that um you know having those kind of conditions but it just i don't know it just it just, it just seems sort of strange i agree and i know that he the part of the conditions that he has to appear in court in you know, federal court in Memphis at set times when, you know, it, regarding this case. And so I don't know if it was just because it was jurisdiction issue, you know, with the multi-jurisdictional case that why, you know, he was arrested in his home state of Illinois, but the, the court or, you know, the, that's overseeing this case is in Tennessee. Was this a, was this something that like his lawyer had to kind of fight for or is this the amount requested by by the prosecutors it really doesn't say other than that the court uh, that he that he had a public defender and that they had agreed on certain conditions of his release and one of them is that he will show up in in you know in federal court when in in memphis for anything proceeding to this case and that uh, as long as he agreed to the curfew conditions and paid the, I guess it amounted to about forty five hundred or forty five hundred dollars unsecured bond, which he probably paid four hundred and fifty dollars, he was released. 
So it doesn't say anything, any conditions about him not driving, continuing to drive like it did, uh, you know, where, where there were conditions in Summerson's case from a, over a year ago when he was initially arrested. But where that said he couldn't he could drive, but he could, couldn't go into certain states. It doesn't appear that there's any restrictions. Do you think it's possible that that there's maybe a, a much larger investigation that that these guys may be tied into? I yes, that is my that is my um, takeaway from this is you know he is not to have any contact with the co-defendant in his case, Brian Summerson. That was part of it, but I do think that they're looking at a larger scale investigation, and then that's why this. They're blast. The FBI is blasting this information out nationwide because they really don't have a, a like the a, when I asked the FBI about, you know, where, you know, the focus of where Washington where his primary routes were, they didn't have that information. But when it pertained to Summerson, they were mainly focused on the I-95 corridor. So they're thinking there could be victims, you know, as an owner operator, you go where the loads are, where you can get freight and where you can get out of areas. And so it could be anywhere. You know, the, those routes could take you anywhere. You've been listening to Long Haul Crime Log from Freight Waves. You can find more episodes by searching for Long Haul Crime Log on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. And if you like us, why don't you consider subscribing or even tell your friends or leave a review? We're also on Twitter now. Our handle is Long Haul Crime. Anyone out there who has a story to share, uh, you can send us an email at crime at freightwaves.com. Tune in next week for more stories from the dark side of trucking. <laughs>